because this is not an April Fool's joke. This is MuggleCast episode 272 for April 2nd, 2014. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 272. Eric, Micah, and I are here this week. Um, welcome back, guys. It's great to be back, Andrew. You know, <laughs> the thing is, I just sent an email around a couple of days ago, and I said, you know, there's some news that has been worthy of talking about over the last couple of months, but honestly, more than anything else, I just wanted to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, let's face it, the most of the talking that we do do, which has been pretty infrequent over the last couple months, um, we've both been busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's been through text or, or you know, a it's computer. It's not verbal. It's not it's through not our verbal. mouths. Yes. Exactly. And so <laughs> it's it's great to be back uh, doing a show with, with you and Eric. And uh, it's just it, – it, it's so easy, or at least I hope it's going to be easy. You know, we just get back into the flow of things. And I think this is easy. I do, too. Michael Cass has never been hard, except for chapter by chapter. <laughs> Other than and that. an occasional uh, episode that had gone missing. Pe- people, yeah. are, people are still giving us crap for not finishing Order of the Phoenix chapter by chapter. <laughs> well, here's a confession. I never really enjoyed chapter by chapter because it always felt like homework to me. Because we had to mm. read certain chapters before recording. That's true. And it just felt like I was in school. And so it was hard. I still did it, but it was it was it was just quite the commitment. I think we were in school too, so we had other homework. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't need more homework on top of MuggleCast is my escape, not not more schooling. Anyway, uh well I have my volume up plenty loud so I can appreciate every single decibel out of your guys' oh. mouths. And it's, uh, it's been a hundred days since our last <laughs> recording. This is uh, actually it's I did the math. Uh, that was what I was doing briefly before we uh, began mm-hmm. recording. And it's been actually 98 days since we last recorded uh, a muggle cast. I think that's our longest hiatus. Um, Yeah, it might be. Yeah, I guess so, so. far Maybe to date or something. But uh, that is how long we can go without chatting. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> we find out. Well, I chat with Micah. Fairly more frequently, but um, still, this feels nice, and it's good, and and at least it's a big enough time window that enough has happened to make for what I think is a pretty exciting episode. Right. Yeah. Well, like we've said, you know, we would always come back when big news um, comes up, and uh, there was certainly big news over the weekend when Warner Brothers. Well, Warner Brothers didn't exactly announce this. It came out of a piece, a New York Times profile on Warner Brothers CEO Kevin. Sushi. I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> you were good. No, that was good. You just yeah. need to add the hara. That was the Sushihara. I just parcel like, tongue version of his name. I, I gave up mid last name. Anyway, yeah, something like that. So Warner mm-hmm. Brothers CEO, he was profiled in a uh, article in the New York Times this weekend. And if you looked closely, you scroll down, you 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 do a little search on the page for Fantastic Beasts, you found a little gem. 
which was that Warner Brothers is planning three Fantastic Beasts, quote unquote, mega movies. And um, it, it was big news because we've heard. See, I was kind of undecided on how big of news that this actually was, because on one hand, we have heard before that Warner Brothers wanted to make a franchise out of Fantastic Beasts. So I don't think anybody was like um, expecting this to only be one movie unless it totally bombed. Uh, on the other hand, the fact that they are planning three movies is pretty significant because they have high hopes for this um, new Harry Potter spinoff, if you will. So um, what were your guys' initial reactions to the fact that this is going to be a trilogy? Well, I, I tweeted uh, oh, you after I found out the news, and I said that uh, at the very minimum it'll be four movies because we all know that the last one will get split in two. <laughs> <laughs> but right my my initial reaction is and and obviously a lot of people in, in terms of the responses i've seen have questioned three movies well no it could be more i think that yes it can be more but it all has to do with whether these movies are the success that warner brothers is hoping them to be and it chances are that you're not going to get uh, a producer a director and a slew of actors to commit to more than three films at the very beginning. I don't think they're going to sign on for seven uh, right from the start, even though I've seen speculation about it, you know, possibly going uh, seven movies. But I'm excited about this. It starts out in New York. It's having happening about 70 years before Potter. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see how they alter the landscape to reflect that time period. And hopefully that means that a lot of stuff is going to be happening right in my neck of the woods as it relates to filming for this series. You think oh, so? Lucky you. Does your area – see, here's the thing. I've thought about that as well. I, I don't think New York looks like it did back in the 1920s. I think it's changed quite a bit. So. You think it would be closer to do it – to recreate it if they just did like – a, a studio or a green yeah, screen. Yeah, like studio. if they shoot in London. I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess they could do some exterior filming in New York, but you got to find things that are that look like they're from the twenties. I think. Yeah. Right, that's like, a great point. Like and Central Park. <laughs> yeah, maybe possibly. But, uh, but it, it'll be really interesting in seeing how much of the film is on location. Just like it'll be interesting seeing how much of the film is practical effects. Uh, mm -hmm. Or creature effects, as they say, rather than CGI, because um, I think if you guys have seen, I don't did have any of you seen Noah? It's kind of just came out. Mm -mm. Um, I heard that all the um, actually starring Emma Watson. Um, I heard that all of the animals were CGI. There were actually like no animals at all used in the production of the film. And you I wonder can't if find that's... a good animal actor these days. <laughs> it's hard. They're all in unions. They have high they're rates. They're all dead. They're all uh, Air Bud <laughs> and uh, Free Willy. Sorry, people. They're no. they're they're and the uh, the, but, the dog from the artist is terminally ill. Um, speaking speaking of that though, you know that most of that movie was actually shot here on Long Island. Really? So again, I'm not saying that Long Island was the uh, focal point for that biblical tale, but uh, <laughs> as far as places around New York, you know, what I'm interested in though is what areas of New York are going to be connected to this magical world. And it'd be interesting to see what kind of ideas pop up in J.K. Rowling's mind thinking about simple things like buildings or uh, 
marquee locations around the city. Andrew, you mentioned Central Park. You know, is there a Diagon Alley of sorts uh, in Central Park? Uh, I I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to see. District. well, I was thinking too, like you, you think of uh, J.K. Rowling's kind of humor with areas that are already, you know, big and bustling like uh, King's Cross Station. If she took like Grand Central Station and made it twice as big and massive and have, have it had like a secret underground, um, hell, that could be the, the market for the, the beasts <laughs> could be in a, an underground basement. You know, we just don't. Market. We just don't know. Like, I think that's kind of the most exciting thing about these movies. And when when the when this news broke about three movies, I kind of harken back to the fact that Joe would be writing it, um, which we found out, I guess, first that she's writing the screenplay for at least the first one. This news that there will be three kind of makes it seem like it wouldn't be too much of a stretch if she wrote all three, at least the first three, even if they make more, mm-hmm. you know. What do you guys think? I mean, I think that that jump could could possibly be made. Perhaps, as the, as has been the case with J- JKR before, she begins writing and then comes up with all sorts of extra stuff, and people think it's gold because yeah. it is. We're going to continue in a moment with our discussion on Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. But first, I'm going to tell you where to find an audiobook. See what I did there? Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. It is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of MuggleCast, Audible is offering you a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their great service. And today I'm going to recommend something that is pretty timely. If you follow entertainment news, you may have heard that... Another one of John Green's books is going to be turned into a film. That book is Paper Towns. Uh, we know that The Fault in Our Stars is has been shot, and uh, it's going to be hitting theaters this June. Next, The next book to be adapted will be Paper Towns. And um, I noticed when I took a look the other day that Paper Towns has soared, soared, to the top of the Audible bestseller list because there's a lot of interest now. Why are they adapting this one next? You will be able to find out by listening to it for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast for a free audiobook. It can be Paper Towns, Fault in Our Stars, any of the books that Audible has in their store. audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. And we thank Audible for their support of the show. I think right now my feelings are that this is going to be J.K. Rowling has a three-part story in mind that are going to be told over these three films, and that'll be it. Um, because for her to be so passionate about this, and you know, Warner Brothers just uh, the CEO who the New York Times did a profile on, just going over there and being like, "Hey, what do you think of this?" and suddenly she's all into it. I, I it just doesn't seem like this can really extend beyond three and part of the reason i say that is because i've sort of been comparing this to the hobbit now obviously there are clear differences for one the hobbit warner brothers the hobbit was based on one small book and turned into three films um this is very different in that jk rowling is writing all three movies so it's not gonna feel stretched or like filled with you know things that aren't really necessary right Uh, um so i think that there's a good chance that this is only going to be three. She has a story in mind. She said to them, look, 
This is going to be three movies. Can you accept that? They said yes. And what I also think, going along with this Hobbit theory as well, is that they're going to film this the same way that they did The Hobbit. And that is same director for all three movies, film all three back to back to back, release all three one year apart from one another. The Hobbit currently, it's in the middle of releasing them a year apart from one another. Uh, we had An Unexpected Journey in 2012, um, Desolation of Smaug in 2013. And then this year, they're in back again in December 2014. Um, what do you guys think of that? It's possible. I wonder how much of the same cast will be retained film to film, though. That's the other that'll... thing. I think they got to include everybody, just like they did with The Hobbit. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, that's kind of like I, I don't I wonder if it wouldn't, in fact, like go to opposite ends of the earth, like kind of like the Indiana Jones trilogy. Uh, and I'm forgetting about the fourth one, of course, but, you know, where it's kind of a different cast of supporting characters, the same main character. And I also often compare Newt Scamander to Indiana Jones. I don't know if that's accurate, um, but, you know, where he's in different parts of the world looking for different relics, it would be like different beasts. So I, I can see it going the way that you just stated. I, I could also see it going kind of like any other regular movie where they do a sequel. You know, it's a couple years later, um, depending. So I, I could see it going either way. It's yeah. just it's a formula that works. Um, when I was thinking about this, I looked at the box office totals. The first Hobbit made a billion dollars worldwide. Wow. Yeah. And then the second <laughs> made nine hundred forty nine million worldwide. So it almost hit a billion. The third one. Um, time will tell. Maybe it'll be a, a bigger office, big, bigger box office than number two because for the same reason that the final Harry Potter and the final Twilight did so well, everybody wants to see, oh my gosh, how's it going to end? That That's a Read draw for people. Read, yeah. Read the book. <laughs> but you can't do that this time, and that's yeah. kind of well, the joy of it. That, mean, is, Andrew- that is definitely the joy of it. I mean, there's going to be so much interest around this because you legitimately won't know what's going to happen. And yeah. if J.K. Rowling is going to write a compelling enough story like she did in the Harry Potter novels, then this is going to be a huge box office draw. And just like yeah. you were saying, that that kind of makes it great, the fact that she's writing these movies, because there won't be stuff that's stretched. There won't be stuff that left that's left out. It will be exactly as specific as the books were, mm-hmm. because she's able to write. She She's writing specifically for this format. It doesn't need to be adapted. Everything that she wants in there is going to be in there, and there won't be you well, know, a book about, about that. it that contains more. There will be stuff that gets cut. Well, there, but I mean, in terms of what's absolutely necessary, no, like she's going to she, play a very big role in this. She is making that call versus, um, a, the a screen artist or a screenwriter, Steve Clovis. Yeah, or that other guy, Goldenberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one thing I did look up though, because you kind of got me interested in what you said with Grand Central Station. Uh, Grand Central Station was created in 1871. There you go. So there's a very good chance that this station will play a large role uh, in these movies. And I think that the architecture more or less has stayed the same, excuse me, stayed the same. It's been, you know, certainly restored. I'm sure it's at one point or another, Um, but that would be a place, you know, talking about what has the the look that it could have had back in the 1920s. Uh, Grand Central would definitely be one of those places uh, in New York. Yeah, and I understand that that Apple store has actually been there since its inception as well. So that'll be a pretty cool <laughs> those, scene. Those things can be removed. They can be removed. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, Grand Central compared to Penn Station. I mean, Penn Station is a abomination as far as I'm concerned. Well, I, I think we... Yeah, I, I can't imagine we, Newt going through there. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, not Penn Station. The bus terminal? Ugh. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think we said this before when we first read the news, like it, it's kind of um, not what you would think of for a beast movie to be set in a major bustling city, because you think of these beasts as being kind of in the wild and rural areas. Central um, Park is going to be filled with <laughs> nargles yeah. and other things. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm just I, I, excited for this world to come to the U.S., even if it's 70 years pre-Potter. That's because true because we never saw anything. We've never seen it, yeah. Yeah, yeah from, from America. And you know what? I may be reading a little bit too into this, but I noticed in that profile when I was reading it carefully for any other clues that um, it says that the story will be starting in New York. Now, like I said, I don't know if I'm reading too much into this. But could that possibly mean that this story is going to go abroad? Is it going to go back to the UK um, if it's quote unquote starting in New York? Or is the New York Times just saying the story starts there because it's the beginning of the story? Dummy. I'm, I, I think I'm reading what you're reading. Um, you know, it's going to I think he's going to travel. I think he travels and is discovering, you know, these these beasts in their natural habitat. So like. Rather than having this movie be an adaptation of the textbook, it's kind of the story that led to this main character writing that textbook. So he's going to be going around finding each of these creatures, and I'm sure there'll be more creatures than are in the book. Um, but you know, it's kind of going to be him abroad. Is just how I see it. I mean, maybe one of those animals gets let loose in New York, and that's a, a he's the one who, who's who's tasked with catching it. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be kind of cool. Um, but I, I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot of potential for him to travel to each of these people's or sorry, these, these beasts, natural habitat. Yeah. Right. I mean, I agree. Just a reminder as well. He went to Hogwarts. He was born in 1897, went to Hogwarts. So if, if this story said in the 20s, that means he's pretty much fresh out of Hogwarts. You know, he decided, oh, OK, I'm going to go over to New York. Right. Uh, but I think we agreed on a previous episode that J.K. Rowling is going to have to rewrite a little bit of the history of this character because I'm looking at um, the um, the uh, Harry Potter dot entry for him, and he joined the Ministry of Magic after Hogwarts. Uh, he spent two years in the office for house elf relocation. Then he joined the Beast Division and put his knowledge of magical beasts to good use. Um, then he was commissioned in 1918 to write Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. So maybe this first movie actually follows him writing Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? It's possible. Um, I mean, I'd love it to see it like take off at his graduation of Hogwarts. Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be funny if like they shut down the studio tour for a couple weeks just to put everything back together and yeah. show some Hogwarts I, sets? I mean, for the sake of getting fans really pumped, it would be very, very cool if we went back to Hogwarts. At the start then, of the first movie. I mean, then then you get people like Emma said in a recent interview, like last week, that she'd love to cameo mm-hmm. uh, in, in Fantastic. And it doesn't look like that will ever happen. I mean, she wouldn't really reprise her role as Hermione unless it was like a time traveling Hermione um, or if they did like a super flash forward at the end. I mean, there, there aren't many magizoologists, people with Newt's position, um, but I think both Luna and her husband, whoever that may be, become zoologists in the future uh, of the Harry Potter book. So there's there's very few people who do what they do. And, you know, these casts, just like The Hobbit did with um, Frodo and, and some of the cast from The Lord of the Rings, you know, showing up in the Shire in the beginning and having it be a flashback. It'd be cool to do it. It'd be great to see. I think fans would love it. 
Um, but I think this film is going to stand on its own in a really big way. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't I, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, you go ahead. Please. Uh, I'm just I'm interested off of what you said, though, with how it starts in New York. And does that mean we're only in New York for a fleeting moment before he travels somewhere else you know, or back to the UK? So I'm hopeful that he at least spends some time here or maybe he's here for graduate school or he's studying (laughs) at some institute here. Uh, in the United States and it's brought him to New York or some special project, I think uh, it's going to be really exciting. And there's really no boundaries for her in in writing this. I feel like for the most part, Eric, you touched on it. Whatever she writes is going to make it, uh, you know, the sort of the major plot points are going to make it to the screen. And the fact that none of us have a book that we can really go to and read ahead and know what's going to happen. I think that's what's going to make this in some ways more exciting than Potter. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It also, um, lately I've been wondering if JK Rowling could possibly release some version of this story in book form before the movie hits theaters. And what made me think about that is um, Seth MacFarlane, the creator of Family Guy, he uh, is working on his first um, movie where he actually stars, his physical self actually stars in it called um, uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. And he released a book version of it um, prior to the film's release later this summer. It's already out. If you go to bookstores now, you'll see it right at the front. Um, It's called A Million Ways to Die in the West. And it's not the manuscript, but it's sort of like an adaptation of the film. And I was wondering, this made me wonder if J.K. Rowling could actually do something similar to this. Because obviously for J.K. Rowling to produce a Harry Potter spinoff book would be huge news. Mm-hmm. And I would have to think that publishers are clamoring for this to happen. Oh, definitely. And, and there are novelizations of popular movies just in general. Uh, you know, not written by the screenwriter, but just other that's just kind of a thing is to have books based on the film. And I wouldn't want anybody to write it. But J.K. Rowling, um, yeah, that as, as to as to whether or not it would come out before the movie, I'm not sure. Maybe at the same time, maybe after. But it just doesn't it almost doesn't make sense to not have something that she's written not be in book form. But I realize she's right. writing something new. Considering so have, her roots. Yeah. And well, speaking and, of her writing, no. Well, but it actually goes into the other question of like, did J.K. Rowling really write this screenplay? Because screenplay writing is completely different from writing a book, as we discussed on a previous episode. Right. So, and I mean, from all all that, from what we know, she wrote the screenplay. But what does that mean? Because you have to go to college to take screenplay classes and understand how that works. It's <laughs> it's a completely different language, storytelling language. From what I gather, though, it, it, there are as many different scripts or screenplays, and they're written in as many different ways as there are screenwriters, people writing them. So it's just like poetry. It's kind of like that. Like there's a script uh, just from what I'm what I know based on like viewing commentary, like 
and behind the scenes videos on DVDs that I get. Um, people talk about certain screenplays as being very visual. You have the dialogue, but then you have this very heavy description of what should be happening on screen at the same time. And I just imagine that Joe's screenplays will be like that, you know, mm -hmm. where it'll be more like they feel almost more like books because you're telling exactly what the camera is doing as opposed to leaving it up to director, you know, yeah. to interpretation. So I think there's, I think her screenplays will read more like books and that comes from just her ability for detail. Mm -hmm. um, but I, yeah, I think, I don't know. It's like, I really want to lay my hands on a, a, an actual screenplay of the Harry Potter books or sorry, uh, screenplay of the Harry Potter films to see specifically like how it was adapted, like how visual it is. They're um, definitely to, out there because yeah. when Warner Brothers submits the films uh, for Oscars, they make those special Oscar for your consideration sites and they put the screenplays up oh, for okay. public consumption. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, I think it would be a visual script um, because I think that's the way that, I, I don't think she'd be able to do it any less detailed mm -hmm. uh, because I, I do think of screenplays just like you. I think of them as being like skeletons almost like you, you fill them in with set design and all that other stuff but the writing is basically just it's dialogue it's what you show on screen it's not any of that sort of inner thought backstory stuff unless there is voiceover yeah mm -hmm. so what kind of release date do you think we're looking at i still don't know i mean i want to think 2017 i think that's the earliest we can see it 2016 seems too ambitious then again, Star Wars starts filming in May and they're going to be released. It's going to be released 18 months later. So, yeah, I I have no clue. There is no clue. <laughs> I mean, for all we <laughs> right. know, J.K. Rowling still writing the first. We we just don't know. We haven't heard any progress updates. That's what makes it so hard. Yeah, I um, think you no should one... get Robert Galbraith on the case. <laughs> Well, Robert Galbraith is slowing J.K. Rowling down because, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, she's writing another story. She's writing like five more books. Yeah, that. I mean, talk about something else that she wrote that's turning into a whole series um, yeah. because there's that much character development to be had. So I think there's good hope for these Wizarding uh, or these Fantastic Beasts movies. And, and Micah, you asked if they'd like be in New York for a second, but I think it'll be more than that because this was America during the Roaring Twenties. And I think that uh, New York was probably a huge cultural center uh, at that time. And it would be hard to, to I think, just whisk him away. That would stink. But I think it's going to be there in a big way. Getting yeah. back to the idea of if there's more than three films, I have to think that Warner Brothers politely found a way to ask her if there's a possibility there can be more than three. Or it could have been part of the deal that, you know, J.K. Rowling's side of the deal was, look, I'll do this for you, but three and that's it i don't care if you want to split it it's three period and you know we also have to remember that after this fantastic beast announcement initially came out last september we saw that warner brothers trademarked quidditch to the ages and beetle the bard so there could also be a secret plane in the works to turn those into movies after fantastic beast is finished i would love a beetle the bard um like sort of uh what, what would they how would they call it, it would be series like a, yeah either a mini series like one for one for each one or um just different segments a segmented film like uh four rooms or grindhouse or all the all mm -hmm. the bad adult ones i'm thinking of um 
but yeah, like that. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be hard to make Quidditch through the ages into a movie, but uh, hey, if anybody can do it, I'm sure Warner Brothers can. Was I mean, that I, written by a certain author? Yeah, uh, was it Kenilworthy Wisp? I'm, I think it was Kenilworthy okay. Wisp. I mean, yeah, if that, that if Fantastic Beast was, yeah, you're right. If that if Fantastic Beast was penned by one author, I could see Quidditch through the ages also being adapted into a film. I mean, maybe this guy traveled the world learning more about Quidditch. I, I mm-hmm. guess that could be interesting. I don't know. <laughs> well, what I know is what Mr. Sujihara, getting back to this interview, said to J.K. Rowling. Like she said, it was it took like one phone call and like t- uh, discussion over tea or a, a dinner, like mm-hmm. one day. She was all of a sudden committing all this time to writing, you know, not just like a basic skeletal draft, but like the screenplay um, for this whole thing. And and she said that uh, the story was a bit of a story that she had tucked away in a drawer, like for her kids one yeah. day, yeah. which is just remarkable that, you know, whoever this guy is, and this is, this is a great um, story by the New York Times about how Mr. Sujihara was like the unexpected um genius who is like negotiating all these billion dollar deals um i want to know what he said to jkr to get her to do this because it's amazing like there's new there's going to be years of new uh potter casting and hey if they're looking for americans this time i'm sure that micah is going to go and 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 try and be in one of these things are you micah you gotta imply why not? You know, Ivana Lynch got extra. her start through MuggleNet. Now you can too. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I can stand uh, idly by on the street or or walk past. Uh, Nuke. Oh, you just want to be an extra. Juan, <laughs> you want to Juan, you want a speaking role? I think Mike I, likes to troll. I could get a speaking role, actually. Do an audition right now. I, I Say, could, I could be. Hey, Newt, I, have you seen that beast over there? <laughs> hey, Newt. Have you seen that beast over there? Yeah, perfect. It could use a little more of a New York accent, but that's true. Can I could do a New York accent? I really know David Heyman. You have an in to the casting department. That's true. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Too funny. Too funny. It's got to be more like a. Um, trying to think. I I really don't have a New York accent, so it's hard (laughs) to fake one. I'm thankful. I don't like it. The New York accent or or Long Island. Hey, Newt. <laughs> well, keep working on that. In another 100 days on episode 273, maybe you'll have a better audition for us. <laughs> no offense, of course. Oh. Anything else to None say about taken. Fantastic Beasts? I don't think so. All right. Uh, there's been some other news that we're going to talk about as well. Um, we're just going to go kind of in chronological order here, starting back in February. Uh, does anybody else want to intro these stories or... You want me to? Yeah, um, I'll talk about this because, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, Andrew mentioned just a few moments ago uh, about Robert Galbraith and the future of the Cormoran Strike series. Um, And uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, J.K. Rowling spoke uh, actually at Oxford um, what it's like to write as a guy. Um, and this was just interesting because, uh, it's the first, you know, time we really get her talking about this and how it's different. Um, you know, how your writing is different and how you have to start thinking like a man and the main protagonist, which Harry was, you know, a young boy, it's kind of more gender neutral, all that sort of thing. So, 
Um, what she says is uh, she got inspiration from the film As Good As It Gets. Uh, she says there is a line. Uh, one moment. <laughs> there is a line uh, in As Good As It Gets where a woman asks how he writes such wonderful female characters. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing, she says, I think of a man and I take out the logic or the sense that made me laugh as a misogynistic as misogynistic as it is because when i write a man i take certain things out and give free reign to aspects of me that would not be acceptable to be honest i think i'm quite blokey at least i'm told i am and i like writing both (laughs) she thinks of herself as being blokey i think what she means is she's just being less ladylike uh in all aspects she says aspects of me that would not be acceptable so i guess she can just be unfiltered and brutal is kind of how she grasps it um having not finished that book yet i feel all of your eyes all of your eyes staring at me uh sorry uh i I totally plan to um i couldn't quite say except to say that it seemed convincing when i was reading it and i think she does it well yeah no i i mean her writing is as strong as ever in Mm -hmm. the cuckoo's calling um, but speaking of that, we found out in February that uh, the sequel, well, we knew the sequel was coming. She had said as much. The official website said so. Um, but in mid-February, we learned more about the sequel. It is called The Silkworm. It's going to be released June 24th. Um, and this one follows a novelist. Well, it it it's about a novelist who goes missing. His wife calls in strike of course and um at first mrs quinn that's the uh wife just thinks her husband has gone off by himself for a few days he has as he has done before and she wants strike to find him and bring him home but as strike investigates it becomes clear that there is more to quinn's disappearance than his wife realizes the novelist has just completed a manuscript featuring poisonous pen portraits of almost everyone he knows If the novel were to be published, it would ruin lives, meaning that there are a lot of people who might want him silenced. So uh, that's part of the synopsis. I think that's very a very interesting premise. So uh, I enjoyed the first one, and I'm very much looking forward to the second one. Yeah, that premise seems uh, a lot like sort of what interests Joe, and we know that from the the Potter series with the press and certain things that uh harry wished you know didn't get out or did get out i I think it's a it's a topic of fascination and the way that the first book featured and i'm told that it uh really focused on celebrity and how celebrities are badgered or portrayed um Mm -hmm. you know and and sort of the price of fame as it were so yeah i think it's uh probably a you know in spirit very fraternal with her other work it's uh going to be not as much a flow, I think, as we had with Potter. And what I mean by that is it's it's not like it you know, Harry's story kind of spanned seven books and you knew that you were going through his entire career at Hogwarts. Whereas with uh Cormoran Strike, I feel like you're just getting individual stories about uh the cases that he works. Right. You know, I'm I'm sure that at some point if she is indeed going to write seven novels, which has been speculated, right? Yeah. 
then there are pieces I'm sure that J.K. Rowling will do a great job weaving in, um, you know, from novel to novel, whether That's it's characters point. or things that have happened in the past. But it's a different kind of writing, I think, for her because, you know, it's just it, – it's it's sort of these unique cases and um, – Right. The, the only other thing uh, that I saw in this article that I thought was – Noteworthy is that she's already writing the third. So clearly she really enjoys this character, really enjoys the series. Um, but to touch on a point that you uh, brought up earlier, is it interfering with her writing uh, the screenplay for these films? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I don't really well, care. I mean, I'm fine to wait for d- all d- this. D- you don't? Are you sure? I care. <laughs> I mean, you, you think, but if you think about it, the more time she spends on Robert Galbraith being Robert Galbraith than the less time she's spending on Fantastic Beasts. And this is not to fault her by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying this is fact. If you spend more time doing something else, you're going to have less time doing, you know, why? It's just, I, it's just what happens. Maybe. Th- try and think of it this way, though. Like, say her creative juices are flowing and the muscle is being flexed. Like, once that starts spinning, it's easier to multitask and come up with equally brilliant material no matter where it is like once you're in the 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 writing mood or like think of it like mm-hmm. that where because she's doing because almost because she's doing Robert Calvary she can also do you know fantastic piece and and whip it out kind of in a at a faster pace because yeah. she's not just doing one thing but we also have to consider does she want to be that busy I mean, this sounds Ugh. like these are two full-time jobs between writing several more Robert Galbraith books if that if that report that I'll bring up yeah. in a second is true. And then three <laughs> Fantastic Beast movie. I mean, this sounds like a tremendous amount of work. I think she does want to be that busy because she was <laughs> before and I think she had a few yeah. years she had a few years where she said it's important that I take time off. And she did. Right. And no tweets happened and no news happened. Right. For, for, and no tweets have almost still happened. But um, I think that she misses it. Or or not like necessarily misses it, but I, if I could speculate, I would say that the pressure for her, um, she's ready to receive it again. And I mm-hmm. think that she's ready to operate under similar circumstances. But she is calling the shots. Like if she needs to take more time off between this book and the next Cormoran Strike book, I'm sure she will. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she'll she'll never be uh, she's fortunate to never really have to feel pressure of a deadline again because she's making up all the rules. Yeah. So, I mean, the first one came out last year. This new one's coming out this year. I would be shocked if if the seven books is true. I would be shocked if she releases one every year, seven years in a row. Right. I, there's no reason to release them a year apart from one another. I not. agree. Um, and not to mention, them. how about some other books that she wants to write? Surely she doesn't <laughs> want to live in Robert Galbraith and Fantastic Beasts <laughs> for the next seven years because well, Fantastic Beasts is going to take multiple she, years. That's true. She almost made – I mean she she always made those jokes though before that she goes out in public with a mustache and ben, uh, a shirt – or sorry, uh, a top hat. I'm glad um, she has so a shirt. Yeah, but <laughs> maybe she, uh, maybe she really does want to, uh, to, 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 to get into that. that I mood. would just add this though. I, I think though, and I'm not saying there's pressure at all. Uh, but one thing to keep in mind is that she did not intend for Robert Galbraith to be revealed. Right. So there's a chance that she could have taken much more time in writing these novels over a period of let's say ten years. 
and slowly release them True. to her own satisfaction. It was only once the news became public that she now realized that, well, if I really like this character and I really like the series and the direction that it's going in, I'm going to have to continue to write because people are going to want to read it. True. And Fantastic Beasts may have been something that she could have focused more of her time on, but now she's in a position where she has to um, continue to do these two things side by side. And I think with the, the, the Cormoran strike books, maybe she just had a really great cliffhanger at the end of the last one. And she got, had to go write the third or, or maybe it's just all <laughs> Eric, as you said, like that muscle is working and, and she just wants to keep writing and writing and writing. I think a lot of fantastic beasts, uh, is already written in some way, shape, or form. You know, maybe it's part of her hundreds or thousands of pages of notes in those boxes, and it's just a matter of piecing all of it together. Where and and it's been written in in some way. Whereas this new series, you know, is fresh, and she has to dedicate a little bit more time to putting it together. I I want to add that when we first found out about um the first book, The Cuckoo's Calling. She said on the website, when the website was released a couple of weeks later, she said the second one was already completed. So going back to Micah's point about the fact that these may have been written in advance, that is, we know for a fact that she had number two done before we even knew number one was written by her. Right. And and that really makes you question how long it would have gone unnoticed. Yeah. With uh, with that said, also, I mean, we don't know for how much longer she wanted to keep it a secret, but I didn't get the impression that it was like she wanted to wait another year. I thought it was like another few months at least she wanted to wait. I could yeah. be wrong, but because no, I, mean, I mean, how long can you keep that secret? Really? Uh, I don't know. It's, we'll never know, I guess. Is we'll the, never know the answer. There, there, uh, there was one other uh news story based on uh yeah this by the way real quick where was it said that she is already working on the third one um where did you see that micah you said that right yeah micah you said that micah own up to it now it's uh in the (laughs) headline that i'm reading where it's uh oh oh this this next article third art third one already in progress Okay. Yeah. Huh. Uh, publishing sources say Rowling has been working on the third since last year, so it's a good chance that that one is almost a wrap as well. Wow. We're yeah, I mean, I guess is... it's not a surprise considering if number two was done last year, then number three is... Number three could be... Yeah, it was done this yeah. year. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, apparently, uh, J.K. Rowling, we talked about this just a minute ago, uh, getting into the mindset of a guy, she's going to be making a public appearance, apparently, as Robert Galbraith. Um, this is happening on the Harrogate stage, um, which is 18th of July at 7.30 p.m., the Royal Hall in Harrogate. And it will be J.K. Rowling's first and only appearance this year as Robert Galbraith. Yeah, it's like fun. it's fun to joke that oh she'll wear a mustache, but I think she's a little too classy for that. I think she's just going to show up being her usual self and talking Robert Galbraith. It'll be interesting. I mean, hopefully she reveals a little more about when she like these questions we've been asking when she planned to announce Cuckoo's Calling 
I would have to think it was before the holiday season last year, because that would have been a great way to boost sales. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and then also, like, how many books does she intend on writing? So this will be good. Hopefully it'll be uh, a fruitful event. And that, that information comes from Robert Galbraith's website, actually. And apparently it's uh, taking place during the Theakston, or Teakston, I, I don't quite know how that's said, Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival in Harrogate, UK. Yeah, so obviously a good event I uh, for her to be appearing at. I remember when this first one was revealed, there was talk of studios looking into snapping up the movie rights, but we never heard anything else about that. So I don't <laughs> know if that don't fell know through. Those movies have already come out. They're just called something different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> David Christopher... Heyman has them locked up. <laughs> yeah, he might. I mean, he might. And can I just say, I mean, we haven't done a show, but our our good friend David Heyman got a hell of a lot of shout-outs uh, during the Oscars this past March. Yes. I was enjoying watching him. In that in that show, every time it went to him or I mean, Gravity won six BAFTAs and seven Oscars this year, um, which he produced and Alfonso Cuarón directed. So, mad props to those gentlemen. Yeah. Um, where are we, Harry? I think we're past all the Robert Galbraith stuff. There's Harry Bat. Oh right. Good, you talk about that. It's just a little tidbit. Yeah, very interesting, tiny little tidbit here. Uh, from mid-February. Uh, J.K. Rowling recently spoke at the Sheldonian Theater in Oxford. Actually, it was the same uh, date and time we, we mentioned uh, just before. But she said that instead of Harry Potter, her title character was initially called Harry Bat. Two um, T's. B-A-T-T. You know, in, in one of those strange kind of what would have been, you know, we could talk about would it have caught on all that stuff because he's Harry Potter and everybody knows that, but just an interesting kind of first name. Um, I think the only other instance of that that I recall is uh, Luke Skywalker was originally called like Luke Starkiller or something like that in George that Lucas's more badass first draft. It is badass, but it's more Sith than Jedi. That's true. Um, so Harry, Harry Bat doesn't have that much of a ring, as much of a ring to it. If Harry Potter rings, we're biased. I don't know if Potter. That really... just sounds like one of those boring British names. What bat? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I'm uh, glad she went with Potter instead. <laughs> it it made it made all the difference for all we know. We all remember Harry Potter Wizards Collection, the big, very expensive complete box set. I don't think either <laughs> of you guys bought it, right? Did you? Do you have? No. It? Yeah, I don't have it either. I did not buy it. Oh, you got a review copy. I'm, if that's the one we're talking about, is it it's, the one in the big box? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got the map. And... No, they've made so many freaking versions of this thing. Yeah, no, the Wizards Collection is the big one. The Super Ultimate yeah. Platinum well, Horror Edition. Now, yes. lucky for you, they have a more affordable version. It's called Harry Potter Hogwarts Collection. Um, this is a 31 disc set, so it comes with everything that was in Wizards Collection, but without all the gimmicks. So it doesn't come with the crazy box with the hidden compartments. It doesn't come with the map. It's just a lot. It's a scaled down what version. What is that? It's discs only, huh? 
Oh, I think I'm Wizards so. Collection came with a map, didn't it? I'm looking at yeah, the I little. Yeah, I think so. I think it came image. with the Marauders map. No, no. I said, what fun is that if it doesn't have all the? Oh, what oh. fun is it? Well, it's like five hundred dollars less fun. So yeah, it's, it's, that's that's the point behind it. Um, there was another uh, post about this which I didn't uh, bother linking to, but it it has a few extra features that haven't been seen before. But uh, what you kind of should take away from this uh, collection, if you were me is that there are still no bloopers or outtakes, um, mm. which David Yates, years and years ago, I think it was 2011, we spoke with him and he promised, he's like, hey, this is going to be great. It's going to come out with outtakes. And there's a ton of them. We have a great blooper reel. And we've yet to see it. And it's not being advertised as part of this Hogwarts collection. So for me personally, I'm still holding off. It looks like a nice set, but it's still $225. And that just seems like a lot of money for eight movies. I know you get the bonus features, and you also get the eight-part documentary, which is interesting as well. But two hundred twenty-five dollars for a, a, a aging movie series. Yeah, Wait, it, this is only for if you never had one of these movies before. If you already own them, you know it's it's useless. And from what I understand, the extended versions of the films uh, with the deleted scenes put back in are also not part of this set. Um, yeah, like just... it, it comes with blue blu-ray 3d versions of deathly hollows part one and two but only deathly hollows part one and two yeah it's so yeah. weird to see i see i keep seeing that in stores too uh deathly hollows part one in 3d and that mm. was converted to 3d almost like for home video remember because the effects weren't ready by the time i hit theaters yeah they scrapped it yeah yeah they totally scrapped it and didn't do it so the fact that it exists in 3d now means they converted it after and it's just yep. interesting like to think about I think it is 3D in the uh, the set that I have as well. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all the same discs as Wizards Collection, minus all those, I, like I des- described, the gimmicks, the, the compartments, yeah. the fancy box. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, though, if you're looking for a way to get all the movies, you can go on eBay and you can buy all of them used for, like, <laughs> 30 bucks i'm sure it's really cheap oh even even blu-rays they have uh i think it was at walmart and uh the the blu-rays they have blu-ray double features of every two movies so they have one yeah, two three four go. five six seven eight go. uh five dollars seven dollars something like that it was absolutely ridiculous you get a 1080p you know high high, high definition blu-ray unbelievable mm-hmm. and uh that was how i had the high def versions of the harry potter films my um, favorite is are the ultimate editions because remember yeah. they were releasing those every few months. Right. They, I like them because they're all separate. You but you buy them all separate. Um, uh, they're and it kind of reminded me of like having books, like the separate. But they books. stopped them, did they? Or or did they um, finally go through with all? I of them? think they finally went through. Like I see Deathly Hollows here, but it, the Deathly Hollows Ultimate Edition is movies one and two. Oh, Classic. so it's combined. It's not. It's not separate. Yeah, on the box it says year seven. So I guess they all say year one, year two. Uh, right. So well, I, I like to those. I don't have them all, but I, I like those. Guys, I have to be honest with you. Uh, looking at this next story does make me a bit hungry. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I didn't eat dinner. Hungry for a park opening, uh, which we don't <laughs> yet have a date on. It was We were expecting to get a date, I think, on the uh, reveal of when Harry Potter Diagon Alley theme park is coming. We don't have it yet, Um, but there was uh, a whole convention in January. It was mid to late January, like the 20th, um, where they had the press uh, come in, and they actually had a bunch of 
locals. You could get tickets for it. And I, I forget exactly what the junction was called. But uh, they did a reveal celebration some... of Harry Potter. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. How, how generic. <laughs> I should have known. Well, you um, may remember going way back, the initial name for the first one. This is the second one. But the first one was called Harry Potter Home Entertainment Celebration. Right. Remember right, that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, they did get to preview uh, for some of the breasts. They get to preview the food that would be happening at the Leaky Cauldron. And I, to be honest, I think everybody went into the Leaky Cauldron and just can't say anything about it uh, mm-hmm. for another couple months. But the food uh, that's happening there, just uh, to kind of interest people who've been to the Wizarding World, you know, you can get fish and chips. And there's a lot of there's this focus on British cuisine um, existing already in the Three Broomsticks with Diagon Alley with the Leaky Cauldron. Um, there's going to be a few more options from what it sounds like a steak and ale pie chicken and mushroom pie uh, a number of additional pastries and creams for dessert and i think the big thing that uh you should take away from this news story is going to be of course florian fortescue's ice cream parlor which will exist in the diagon alley section that's where harry goes in book three to do his homework and florian helps him out i think with astronomy and gives him free ice cream um, so that's totally going to be there, and it's going to be an ice cream park, and there's going to or uh, parlor, and there's going to be lots of ice cream flavors specific to that area of the theme park. So just some really cool things to look forward to. As I'm speaking now, my mouth is watering. I should just stop looking at these photos. The rumor, uh, I I think they're aiming for June for release, um, but there's also been speculation. Oh, it's running a little delayed, so maybe it'll be later in June or July. I mean, it's a big project, especially compared to the um, to uh, Hogsmeade, because this time there's a train involved. You got the mini expansion happening at Hogsmeade for the train. Uh, and then, of course, everything that's going on at Diagon Alley. So it's a, it's a pretty big undertaking. Do we know? Do we know when uh, Hollywood is opening next year? Next year? Yeah. OK. It's like still in summer. Um, I guess so. It's still they just started going vertical on their construction here. So mm-hmm. it, yeah, I would assume they're aiming for summer that I guess that would make the most sense considering Hogsmeade and now Diagon Alley both opened this year, but I, I don't, I'm not even that really excited for this Hollywood one other than the fact that it's close to me because Hollywood looks to just be Hogsmeade. I mean, they haven't released any concept art or anything, but I think it's just going to be Hogsmeade. I mean, they're really tight on space in Hollywood. So yeah, well, didn't they demolish an entire theater? To yeah, yeah, but, but like there was kinda... zero room before oh, that. So oh, like now there's a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, it should be fine. Yeah, but uh, this is exciting. Obviously, these plans are have already happened, and we're just finding out about them little bits by bit at mm-hmm. a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's some heavy British fare to be honest with you to be serving in um a very warm climate, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did that with the first one. I mean, they yeah, have, they did. What fish and chips and I don't know what yeah. <laughs> I can't remember bang, what else. Bangers and mash. Uh, trying to think what else. Um, but yeah, that kind of. We're and, Americans. Uh, we like to eat a lot of food. That's true. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. So at least I'm at least looking forward to it. At least with uh, the Harry Potter parks, there were like dietary restrictions. Like, there's no soda being served in. But you can have butter beer, which has about five thousand <laughs> packs of sugar in it. It's true. There are some exceptions to the rule, Micah. I don't make the rules. So uh, I think to wrap up uh, the news discussion, we can briefly touch on our favorite subject, 
and that is Pottermore. Uh, and there's some new information uh, that has been released uh, courtesy of J.K. Rowling, who asked uh, that all the wonderful, all of her wonderful followers, I should say, um, and maybe some that are not her followers, uh, retweet the hashtag Wizards for Scotland Rugby Team. And as a thank you for doing that, uh, she gave all of the uh, fans a deep insight into the history of the Quidditch World Cup. Yep. Um, I didn't retweet it, but I did. I did not either. Read it. <laughs> I do not follow her. It was pretty interesting, actually. Um, she had a good amount to share. Uh, this was part one. She also did a second part where she revealed that Crumb is out of retirement for the 2014 Quidditch World Cup. I thought it was interesting that she was talking about present day tournaments given that i don't think we ever heard about anything really going on in no. present day yeah that's true that's uh so that's pretty true part one focused on the rules and regulations of the tournament how it's governed by the international confederation of wizards quidditch committee and uh talked a lot about the structure of the tournament the history of the game and uh, some of the more unusual and controversial entries into the rule book uh, and you know we're we're not going to go into detail here, I don't think, but no, we we want to leave it up to listeners to go and experience it and read it uh, for yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, what was the hashtag for? Yeah, was it for a specific uh, cause? Hashtag yeah. Micah, follow me, please. No. <laughs> that's, if that gets that's a thousand retweets, I will follow her. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, does she have to be the first one to tweet it? It, no. it the tweet was Wizards for Scotland rugby team. I don't totally under it had to, something to do with rugby happening over in the UK. Right. Yeah. Um but I couldn't say what, but it Me was neither. definitely something like that. Um but yeah, I, a I lot think it's probably just the general support of Wizards being us for the rugby team over there in Scotland. It was a, I mean it was it was a clever thing in that JK Rowling Caught, got directly involved with Pottermore and rallied her followers and obviously was tweeting more, which is a good thing. So, Yeah, I agree. There actually is one more news story, and that is that the um, Bloomsbury has decided to republish the UK oh, children's edition Harry Potter books. Yeah, start <laughs> saving up for this new set. I do uh, have the children's uh, editions from the UK, though. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, like, those were I the like best. Them. Yeah. yeah, they were the best. They're still wrapped in plastic. I haven't opened them. So. Oh, wow. Uh, well, you're not missing much on the inside of the book. I Let me tell yeah. you that. Um, the U UK editions don't have chapter images. We were really spoiled uh, with Mary Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. And really beyond the, the chapter images, which you know our listeners may be like, he's crazy. Who cares? They actually don't um, change the font for Hogwarts letters. And different letters that Harry gets in the mail from Sirius. There's that one in book three from Hagrid where uh, the teardrops are on it because Beaky has just been sentenced to death. Um, and all of that stuff that was like, uh, you know, Hagrid's scrawling handwriting or Mafalda Hopkirk's beautiful script. None of that is in the UK editions. It's all just one font. I think it's Garamond, which is it just takes you out of the experience the way that. 
the, U- the US versions took you into the experience. I can't read through the UK books because they don't hold my hand in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't hold your hand. Maybe they will this time, though, because this new reprint, uh, this new version of the series is going to be redesigned inside and out. Exactly. Uh, that was something that they said in the press release. So maybe it'll include chapter art and maybe it'll be Mary Grand Prix. I mean, I don't think there's any reason not to just use hers unless they really want this new illustrator, uh, Johnny Duddle, to do them. I guess that's possible. Yeah. Um, Duddle the, the like bat. Duddle <laughs> like a what? Like bat. I didn't really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, but I mean, if they do use Mary Grand Prix, uh, she might be able to make a nice little penny off of that. No, I don't think she makes. <laughs> I really don't think she makes any money off her art. Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm actually, I'm actually being honest. I no, heard that. I one. bet she will. No, well, but, uh, uh, well, she probably didn't. She, she probably does. It's she probably doesn't get a nickel every time a Harry Potter book is sold in the U.S. But like, they would pay her, I think, to use them in the U.K. because it's a completely different deal. Right. I, yeah. I have a feeling that they'll do it all different. There, uh, there's a quote um, from Johnny Duddle who says, I'm hugely excited to work my way through the wonderful books. Couldn't have asked for a more enjoyable subject matter. It's exciting, daunting, and I feel the weight of responsibility. I'm just hoping that my illustrations faithfully reflect the characters and world created by J.K. Rowling. So it sounds like he's talking maybe a little bit more than about covers on, only. Um True. I had a guess from that quote. True. Uh, and he's known for doing picture books, which have a lot more pictures than just the front and back cover. Um, the picture books that he's known for include the Pirate Cruncher and the Pirates uh, Next Door. Yes, which we all have and have read. And yes, we love those. With. It's the same, yes. Just like um, we've seen all the content from the new... See, here's the other thing. Okay, so we have this Bloomsbury. So Bloomsbury is really re-releasing them with the new covers. And then also, beginning in 2015, they're re-re-releasing them, the complete <laughs> illustrated versions. And those are the ones that may, we don't know for sure, but they call them complete illustrated versions, meaning there's going to be a hell of a lot of pictures inside. Yeah. yeah. And so it seems strange for them to do this a year before the illustrated books come out. Just trying to make money. Uh, the... It has to be about the success that Scholastic just had with Kazu Kibuishi's uh, work about rebranding the series, about not having them just look the same as they did 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, although they tried it once before with the 10th anniversary and that went nowhere because I never followed it up. You know, I think this whole just blanket redesign is something that in the Potter books, at least in the UK, they had the adults and the children. So there there was variety that you'd see in the bookshop. But I think, you know, they're in the same situation where they think that making it look a little different is going to increase sales or as the uh, the sales speak is, of course, to introduce these books to a new generation. Well, that's it. And I think we've we've touched on that a number of times on past episodes. That a lot of the reason behind doing what they're doing while financial is also to reintroduce or I should say introduce the series to a younger generation and, and based on the times and however the art is created might have more an appeal yeah. um, to a different uh, generation. But you know, one thing, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you know, one thing that I have never seen happen to any 
uh, book in the Potter series is I've never seen it jacketed um, based on the movies. And I think that that's something that Scholastic and Bloomsbury have done a great job of in yeah. not letting it get to that point. We should celebrate that right now because if you think about, I mean, I'm sure there's a copy of Divergent sitting on, sh- you know, store shelves now with Shailene Woodley's face on it. Um, you know, and Twilight did the same thing, and uh, hell, there's, Hunger there's Games, two- and Hunger Games, Fallen Stars. Everybody's doing it for some reason. J.K. Rowling could get away away, the, away with, with it, not doing it. You're right. You're right. So oh. I'm I'm very very happy about that. Yep, uh, as am I. So uh, I wanted to. You know, before we kind of wrap things up here, we did get some tweets in response to asking listeners what they thought about Fantastic Beasts. And go for it. Let's uh, let's go through and read some of them here. Kristen Burford uh, says, "The boys are back in town." Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, Fantastic Beasts is more original, so should fare better uh, than The Hobbit. Um. Uh, reviews wise, yeah, I hope so. So long as the story is good, I mean, but box office wise, a billion dollars is going to be hard to beat. <laughs> but we'll see. Who knows? Yep. Uh, Tom Dell says it's fantastic in quotes. Very funny. Uh, although we oh, already knew, <laughs> we knew back in 2013 it was going to be quote more than one movie, right? So it's not much of a surprise. Okay, right. Mm. Uh, I said that, guys. Remember, Samantha. Yeah. <laughs> At Gordon Samantha underscore says, I'm mostly excited about anticipating the next film without knowing what's next in the story. It'll add new excitement for fans. We said that as well. Good point. We had something from it was a tweet from this uh, person, the art of spying, who said it's fan bait. But as fans, we couldn't be more thrilled. What does that mean? It's fan bait that people can't help but. They, they won't be able to resist going in to see it because, oh, my gosh, it's a Harry Potter spinoff from J.K. Rowling. Oh, but if I you're assume. talking about something that's like legitimate, it's definitely something written by J.K. Rowling. Yeah, no, I think they're just saying she's just saying it's incredibly tempting to want to see it, even though you're not sure of it. OK, yeah I, yeah, I get that. I get that now. Thank you for clarifying. Because, I mean, like, we're all really excited about a about a project. We have no clue. We don't know anything about. We don't. We don't know anything about it. We know the character's name. So what? (laughs) And it involves the main character's name. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Uh, Shelby Marie at Shire Badger says, "If JKR is okay with it, then so am I. I'm ecstatic to learn even more about the Wizarding World." And you know, I had that view as well until she decided to do this pre hogwarts harry potter play (laughs) so count me a little more skeptical than i was (laughs) previously i I would agree with how you feel about the play um i mean don't get me wrong i'm really excited for fantastic beasts but i it's hard to argue that harry harry potter's pre-hogwarts years are going to be really exciting but listen to our previous our december 24th episode for more on that yeah Uh, Um, mario padilla sent two tweets because he couldn't fit it it all in one he says is it mario 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 is of course the nintendo character oh i always say mario but this could be mario i don't know i've known of mario for a while this mario tweet at us let us know uh i don't see why some (laughs) people are mad slash upset about this 
there really isn't source material. Uh, this is all coming from Joe's imagination. She can make as many films as she wants, and I will go see them. Right. And that's Good why point. the Warner Brothers CEO flew over there. <laughs> he knew it was worth a shot. Mm-hmm. And there are certain uh, plots, tricks, and plot things that you can do when you're making a trilogy. If you know from the outset that you're making a trilogy, um, so I think they'll the films will have uh, some resonance between each other and references to each other and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, it'll be fun to to have this new trilogy. Uh, I just, Zimmer. Real quick, I just hope the level of detail is back. I know that's different when you're when you're in a movie, but if if she's able to pull it off in the same way that she did with the books, just think about all the speculation that will be going on. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, Zemmer Galpaz says, "Hope this isn't an April Fool's joke." As we record <laughs> here on April first, uh, no, it is not. Actually, this is all a figment of your imagination. Yes, I haven't uh, been recording this whole time. <laughs> yes. Uh, Trinica says, even if it's just a cash cow, I will never say no to more Potter material. Sarah Tavares, I hope Quaron will be the director. What do you Could be feel? Possible. Uh, Andrew, did you like Gravity? You saw, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was good too. And I'm wondering, because of how I feel about the third Harry Potter book, would I give him a second chance? Not that it's my decision to make, but would I be like, excited about an Alfonso Cuaron Harry Potter movie. And I think I would. I think I've reached that age where I can appreciate his, past Prisoner his of I, Yeah, I'll never quite forgive, but I think that what he did with Gravity was good, and I think that he would probably or possibly work well with some of those visuals of the time yeah. period. Oh, and, yeah. I think yeah. Fantastic Beasts would be great for him based on what I saw in Prisoner of Azkaban. I mean, I'm one of those people who liked Prisoner of Azkaban. I know there's a big debate, but... No, that's that's fine. Yeah. Yep. It's just, uh, considering he kind of rebooted the visuals of Harry Potter, I think he has a strong sense of the wizarding world and what you can do with it. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he would definitely be a, a top, I think, pick for... Uh, to, to direct this. And, yeah, because, and... I mean, really think about it. Who do we, who, who do we trust to with this project? You think creatures and you think Guillermo del Toro, but those are all creatures with knives for fingers and yeah, I don't 15 eyes. So I don't know. Like, I mean, the visual, profound visual directors in Hollywood. Um, right. Like, of, would people be excited if it's a director who just really doesn't have a good resume? I mean, it has to be somebody with a really good resume, I think. I would agree. Yeah. And let's yep. also remember that Alfonso seemed interested in the idea of Fantastic Beasts when Vulture approached him at a party a few months ago and asked him and he said nobody's approached me yet but yes that sounds like an interesting idea and given their relationship with david Heyman coming off of gravity right it's can't miss it's can't miss yes and uh it would it would now be directed by academy award-winning director alfonso <laughs> Cuaron. so which i guess go. would be the first time we could say a harry potter movie was directed <laughs> by an academy award winner unless chris columbus won something before he's an author now actually and yeah. the sequel to his book it was called house of secrets <laughs> house is of out the sequel is out now as well you know we got a funny tweet here it's it's kind of sarcastic we look for this occasionally uh the tweeter is called look at the flowers um at unky d on twitter that's a reference to the walking dead a couple uh, weeks okay. ago yeah thank you for pointing that out no problem uh, 
Unky D says, anything that distracts J.K. Rowling from writing adult fiction can only be a good thing. Yeah. See, that's... Uh, yeah. I don't agree with that. Well, obviously this person does not like Casual Vacancy or Cuckoo's <laughs> yeah. Calling. So um, I didn't like Casual Vacancy either. It was... Yeah. It was rough, but I did like Cuckoo's Calling. Um, yeah, it was rough. Yeah, no, you're right. It was I, rough I to read. I couldn't finish it. I'm still looking at it, sitting there, taunting me. It is. Uh, in fairness, I'm looking on Amazon right now. I mean, you know, four stars. That's not bad. Oh, yeah? Okay. From who though? <laughs> I mean, an overall rating, four stars. Mm -hmm. Right. So you see your copy of the oh, wait. Calling. It's actually worse. It's three stars. There oh, you what, go. Casual vacancy. <laughs> yeah. Out of based on forty six hundred reviews. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, well, but it wasn't Potter. Um, but we do have one final tweet here from Helen Kelly, uh, who was actually you know touches on our director discussion just a bit ago. So exciting, interesting. If it will have the same director or different ones, would like a variety. So Helen would like to see more than one director throughout the course of the films. <sighs> I don't Depends think how so. they shoot it. Yeah, you know, Andrew, if it's, yeah. like you were saying before, if they do it kind of all at once. Chances are it's going to have the same. I think it should have the same director. I think it needs consistency. Exactly. Uh, the Potter films did not have that really. And I think that, you know, we were just joking around about the Oscars, but I think that potentially hurt um, Potter in, in the Oscars a, a little bit, not having the same director throughout. That's I don't know about point. that because the last four films did. Yeah, yeah, you know, but there was also the stigma of oh, Harry Potter's a children's series. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it wasn't really American. I mean, mm -hmm. you can say like, what makes a film American? Because it was funded by brothers. But um, maybe if it's set in New York, the people will react more kindly to it. Maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, well, especially if it films in New York too. Yeah, then it then it feels more more local. Uh, there was something else I was going to say about this. What were you just saying, Micah? It was about directors. And oh yeah. Um if you look at True Detective, a, a series that was on HBO earlier this year. It. People are like, it's amazing. Yeah, everybody loves it. Everybody says, Oh, it's the best thing, you know, maybe better than Breaking Bad. Oh my god. The entire eight episodes was directed by one director and also had one screenwriter. This is like a big trend. I mean, people can really appreciate this consistency across multiple stories. And I think um Fantastic Beasts would really benefit from that. I think it I, I don't think you can switch from director to director to director for this because if you did, you'd be running the risk of them losing the vision when Warner Brothers is are this is already a risky bet a risky bet for them. You I, I think you gotta play it safe where you can and yeah. one way to do that will be same director, just like David Heyman's gonna produce them all and it's probably gonna have the same cast all the way through. Yeah, I, I think you have to have also, in my mind, it has to be somebody who is familiar with the Potter series. You can't bring in a director that hasn't worked on the films before. I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll work. Hmm. Yeah, I don't there's, disagree. There, there's a certain, uh, and I get this isn't Potter, but it is, and <laughs> it's the same world. And I think you know having Heyman there is a huge bonus. Be interesting to see who else kind of gets worked into the fold mm -hmm. um you know across the board that names that we're familiar with in different 
areas of of the production and i think director wise you know Quaron's a interesting choice i i think given the material he'd be a great pick and i, also, I hated prisoner of Azkaban, so it shows you <laughs> uh, even even i'm willing to come around on this yeah i think it's also a safe bet that Stuart craig is going to be involved in this as well the yeah the uh production designer i mean he's been actively involved in the harry potter parks so his mind has been in it all this time and mm-hmm. i'm just looking at his imdb right now uh he had a film in 2012 called gambit and then he's in pre-production on tarzan and guess who's directing that david yates uh. <laughs> harry potter five through eight director so you know there's all these little connections still lingering even past right. harry potter yeah i could see sort of the family reunion taking place here on some level i mean and i think you want that because and, and i would think and i'm not obviously saying that i know this for certain but i would think that jk rowling would want that because you've already entrusted potter to these people and they did a great job with it so why wouldn't you want the same group yeah. of people to make well, Fantastic Beasts? Then again, a different director in a different field might be a benefit. If you look at I, – I only just found this out. This isn't knowledge I normally store in my head. Um, but the first three Star Wars uh, episodes, four, five, and six, all had different directors. Um, a New Hope was George Lucas. Empire Strikes Back was Irvin Kirshner. And then The Return of the Jedi was directed – by Richard Markand. So it, in, you think of Star Wars like that is a cohesive, coherent um, visual look. Uh, you know, they go to Tatooine in two of those three movies and it's all they have Death Stars in the other two. Um, but the movies are different enough because they're different parts of the same story. So I can also see them maybe doing different directors and having that be a benefit. I don't know. I, I don't know that this uh, – well – I was going to say I don't know that it's on the same scale, but it could be from a you know from a um, revenue standpoint. Right. Well, I'm also just comparing HP to Star Wars a lot lately because they both have three films that are in the pipeline. Um, you know, so it's kind of like a great way to say, hey, these are very similar in very similar situations. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Okay. So that's it for the news. Thank you, Micah. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Usually, I used to. I I don't know what happened there. It used to take what like ninety seconds. This took like ninety minutes to do the news. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were uh, way 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 months. back in the day when it was. I miss your little jokes. I miss your. Oh, little your jokes pre-recorded today. news. Well, yeah. the, the big mistake we made with the pre-recorded news was that you were reading the news and then you would move on to a variety of different subjects and then we would repeat them. Right. So it was, or or sometimes I don't know if you'd even discuss it. You just move into your what we wanted know, book, to talk about discussion, theory discussion for that particular episode. Mm. News was an afterthought, <laughs> and now it's our now priority. it's the only thought. That was <laughs> that was that was eight and a half years ago, guys. Can you imagine that? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But, but um, once Fantastic Beasts start up again god knows what we'll be doing then but i have to imagine there's going to be some speculating going on if jk rowling like i said earlier does as good of a job as she did with harry potter which of which i think there is no doubt andrew are you going to LeakyCon in july no oh <laughs> not to ruin that but oh really no <laughs> i don't think so no i don't think so oh, okay yeah. okay but you'll catch the park sometime surely. oh yeah oh yeah of course okay 
Wouldn't okay. miss it for the world, for the wizarding world. Yep. <laughs> we did want to mention, uh, of course, that LeakyCon uh, is happening this summer. I know that Mike and I will be there um, mainly for our podcast Game of Owns, which we did want to plug. Uh, LeakyCon this year is taking place at the Orange County Convention Center from July 30th to August 3rd. Um, not sure what state registration is in, in terms of how full it is or if it's available. I know hotels are hard to come by at the moment. So head over to LeakyCon.com, but not today. Uh, because right now it's actually a plumbing convention website for April Fools. Oh, that uh, one I was invited to. <laughs> the yeah. plumbing convention. Yeah. That one's in June. Um, maybe Mario will be there. But yeah, uh, yeah uh, there's LeakCon. In, so again, that's in July. And then there's also one at the beginning of July called Shoot 212. And I've been uh, just kind of writing about that on MuggleNet. Um, it's taking place over the 4th of July weekend. So actually the 2nd to the 6th in July. And that is located at the Santa Clara convention center in Santa Clara, California, a little closer to you, Andrew. Um, and the cool yeah. thing about shoot 212 is that they're developing an entire wizard village that they're building inside the convention center for guests. Wow. A village. Yeah. It's going to be a village. It's going to be a town. Like, they're going to have, Oh, like the programming rooms are going to be designed to be like Grimald Place, um, the different areas like the kitchen, the attic, you know, stuff like that. And then there's actually just going to be a town where so like the vendor room is going to be like a marketplace, mm. like as part of a town. And there's going to have like a courtyard uh, for Quidditch and stuff like that. So it's it's pretty exciting mm. uh, stuff. The website is uh, shoot212.org. Go check it out. I just bring it up because it seems like it's going to be pretty cool. And I'm going to try and get there um, this July. And then LeakyCon, of course, LeakyCon.com is the website for that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I think we can get into plugging other podcasts here really quickly. Eric mentioned Game of Owns. It is our uh, Game of Thrones podcast that uh, Eric and I do uh, a couple times a week with uh, Zach, Louie, and Selena. Uh, who you've heard from time to time on this show as well. And uh, we will be at LeakyCon, as mentioned, but uh, the biggest news uh, to discuss here is, of course, that the fourth season of Game of Thrones starts this Sunday, uh, April the 6th on HBO. And uh, that means we will be getting into our high season. I don't, I don't even know what else yes. to call it. We, we, we struggle season. with off-season, on-season. So I think high season is... In high season. season. In, in season. <laughs> yeah. off and on and in there i like high season that makes sense given game of like high seas i know game of thrones doesn't deal with ships much but or maybe oh, it does does it do i need to start uh, watching but no, yes you, you do yes absolutely season premiere coming this uh sunday and we'll have an episode released the monday following every one of the 10 episodes of this season as well as some other stuff throughout the course of each of the weeks so uh, definitely be sure to check it out. You can go to gameofowns.com or our partner site, uh, winnerscoming.net, for all of the latest information. And uh, if you like what we have to say here and you want to hear a more adult version, uh, you can check out Game of Owns. Okay. How's that? That was great. Very timely. That's why you guys wanted to do this podcast. <laughs> That's it. I, yeah. see, <laughs> I see now. Uh, and of course, no, I, wanted... I wanted to talk to you, Andrew. Oh, sure, sure. 
Um, and I want to uh, plug three projects involving the word hype. First, of course, there's Hypeable. Then there's Hype, the podcast that we do every other week on Hypeable, general entertainment podcast. It's sort of a reflection of what you see on Hypeable. And then Hype After Dark, which is on Hype Podcast as well. And me and one of my best friends do that. It's a general talk show. We talk real news, entertainment news, um, real life, all those kinds of things. So go to HypePodcast.com for that. That one is a subscription one, $3.99 a month, four episodes a month. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been a fun show, boys. We'll mention one more thing here. There is a new MuggleNet.com. You may notice that the MuggleCast website uh, may be functional, maybe not by the time you're listening to this episode. It is going back up. We recently revamped MuggleNet.com. Uh, it's turning 15 this year, so it's, you know, changes are happening. It's becoming a man. Um, but we came up with a new, um, entirely new interface over on MuggleNet. So I do uh, want to encourage people uh, to visit MuggleNet.com for Harry Potter news. Um, just spend some time on it. Give it a chance again because I think it's uh, this latest revamp is is very exciting, and we only do these sorts of things, I don't know, every eight years or so. So it's really exciting, and uh, that was uh, that just happened. It's brand new, so go take a look. Just happened, brand new, and it's not an April Fool's joke, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. And we'll see everybody next time in a hundred, in 200 days for, <laughs> or next week, depending on what tidbit J.K. Rowling drops about Fantastic Never know. next for episode 273, where Mike will also provide his audition for the Fantastic Beast film. Yes, work on a New York accent. Goodbye. New York. New York. New York. Goodbye, everybody.